This podcast is produced by EnergeticCity.ca, your only local and independent news in Northeast BC. To support local news and this podcast, go to EnergeticCity.ca slash join to find out more. This podcast was recorded on traditional Denizal land. Hello, hello, it's Trey. Welcome to Before the Peace. This month, I had an awesome conversation with Paulette Flamand, an entrepreneur and business owner who has been in the Peace region for almost 30 years. She has a very, very lengthy resume that includes being the current Northeast Director for Métis Nation BC and serving 20 years as the Executive Director of the Northeast Aboriginal Business Centre. Some of her accolades include being named the Aboriginal Women of the Year from Community Futures and receiving the BC Achievement Foundation Award of Distinction for her endeavors to elevate Indigenous businesses in BC. She also has post-secondary training in Native Communications and Public Relations from Grant McEwen College and an Aboriginal Management Certificate from UBC's Asander School of Business. In 2013, she received an Honorary Associate Arts degree from Northern Lights College and is a graduate of two life coaching programs. We talk about most of that within the interview. She also owns Scoops Clothing, a woman's boutique in Fort St. John, and the Boreal Gardens, a boutique experimental permaculture farm. She started the farm with her partner, Gary Oker, the counselor of Doig River First Nation, in 2016. Actually, the whole interview was actually recorded in the Dome Greenhouse on her and Gary's property, which was really awesome. Start the episode by getting into Paulette's advocacy work for Métis, Indigenous people, women in business, and entrepreneurs. Before we get into the episode, let's get paid. This podcast wouldn't be possible without the help of Troyer Ventures. Troyer has been serving our community and the energy industry with taken vac trucks since 2000. They are built on the principles of hard work, service, and community, and they are proud to offer the financial support to make this program possible. Thank you so much, Troyer. And to all our listeners out there, make sure you're emailing me at beforethepeaceatenergeticcity.ca. If you have any comments or story ideas, you can also hit me up on Twitter at before the peace underscore and on Instagram at before the peace. Now let's get into our interview with Paulette. You've done so much advocacy work for indigenous people, Métis people, um, women, women in business, uh, entrepreneurs in general. Why has that been such a focus for you in your career for many, many decades? Well, I talk first about entrepreneurship, and I think, you know, coming from, you know, being a, a road allowance child in Saskatchewan and looking at a way out of, you know, poverty, that entrepreneurship was especially important to me. And I did have uncles and, you know, relatives that, you know, operated like construction business, roofing businesses. My father was in the roofing business. Um, today, many of my siblings and family are, you know, entrepreneurs doing their own business. But it was really important to me, I think, at a, at a young age, knowing that one way that I, I would be able to, you know, rise above poverty was through, you know, education, um, getting involved in entrepreneurship. And so I think that, you know, being um, born into dire pro- poverty, you know, really basically pushed me, you know, to do something with my life. And all the advocacy work that I've done, it's, you know... Um, 
correlates to my uh, leadership style, which I call myself a servant leader. If you're on my Facebook, you'll see hashtag servant leader. And I really, you know, servant leadership is a philosophy. Um, and it's, you know, right now, I think it's uh, 100 of the Fortune 500 uh, best companies to work for. Actually, no, it's one third, sorry, follow servant leadership philosophy. And servant leader philosophy is really about serving first, right? And then leading. So I really believe that, you know, anybody can become a good leader because anybody can serve. And so that's my philosophy of wanting to help others in all my life, wanting to help others who were, you know, um, in a worse off situation than I was. But I always had a deep down desire to assist others and to give to others. And so I think that's, that is where definitely it comes from, my wanting to advocate, my wanting to support, my wanting to do business. So it's really, you know, really uh, all about how I was raised. And people are like, oh, wow, you know, you grew up hungry. Yeah, I remember gro- you know, going to bed hungry. I remember not having any food to eat as a child, right? But the thing is that, oh, you know, like, don't pity me because really it pushed me to do something that I may not have if I would have been, you know, born to affluence. Uh, We've also had the conversation of, like, it could have also went the other way of, like, you know, overwhelming you or, you know, having other effects on you where you you couldn't use it as inspiration, right? So it it could have definitely went another way. Speaking of inspiration, you know, you mentioned uh, some of your family members owning businesses and obviously living in poverty, it helped drive you. But what about other... Uh, you know, events or people around you when you were younger. You were talking also about your school and some of the nuns there at the school. Um, What are some other influences to you? Well, I think a big part of that also was reading because if you talk Mm. to any of my siblings and if you ask them, what do you remember of Paulette when she was young? And a couple of my siblings have said, all I remember is that she always had a book in her face. So I used to do a lot of reading. Like I would, yeah, I would uh, read anything I possibly could get my hands on. Um, you know, I at one time I thought maybe I was just reading for escapism. You know, when I got older, I was analyzing that in therapy that, oh, maybe it was just, you know, as an escapism. But even if that is, in fact, the truth, what a great escapism is reading. And, um, you know, I spend every day having to read materials for my work and I mean, that's how we garner information, and that's where that's where we learn learn about you know things that you can bring into your business to enhance your business. So still today, I read, and you know, as a child, I read. So I think reading for me also you know assisted me in um, th- that was a big influence in my life. There were you know some teachers you know that were influential you know that I wanted to emulate and, and do well for. Um, but primarily it was, yeah, it was basically me reading and me going to school and me helping others that really have brought me to where I am today. And now you were talking about growing up, uh, North Battleford, Saskatchewan. Um, 
you know, what was the environment like there? You know, you talked about, uh, you know, living in poverty. Obviously, it wasn't the best situation living there. Tell me about your time there and what led you to leaving, because I believe you're in Edmonton going to school before you came to the Peace Region, if mm-hmm. I'm correct. So kind of walk me through that journey from, you know, battle for growing up to going to Edmonton for school to coming here to the Peace Region where you uh, have been for the past, you know, close to 30 years. Um, what led me there? I mean, I went from North Balfour to Saskatoon and started working with the Friendship Center in Saskatoon in that movement as a program director. And then really wanted to, you know, go to school and, um, led me to Grant McEwen in Edmonton. And then, um, yeah. And from there then, you know, I came up to the, came up to the piece, but basically, I mean, getting out of Saskatchewan, you know, I just really felt like I needed to, you know, build my own life. And um, that's what led me to Edmonton. And then through Edmonton, I had a couple of retail stores, one in Edmonton, one in Calgary. Oh, okay. So I, I got involved in the uh, clothing industry probably close to 40 years ago mm. and started manufacturing over in Asia and Italy and opened up a store on White Avenue called Ezio and then on 17th in uh, Calgary called Ezio. So I got involved in the clothing manufacturing and before I did that I was actually working for the federal government in Stats Canada and had a fairly good job I mean as a you know a PM2 back then I mean it's like a level up from clerical or whatever a couple and ran into a friend of mine from Saskatoon who had just came back from Indonesia and was looking to um, open up a store in Edmonton. So we got together and opened up that store in Edmonton and then opened up the one in uh, Calgary as well. And then about, I don't know, 10 years after that, I met Gary, who was also at that time in the fashion industry. Mm -hmm. And then we started manufacturing uh, a line of clothing over in Asia as well, Agazaze. And it was all native-inspired clothing because I'd already been to Indonesia and to Italy manufacturing. And then when we got together, he's like, oh, you know, he was running a, a fashion design school in Dawson Creek mm-hmm. for, um, for, for indigenous youth there. And so then we started manufacturing over in Asia. And then we started for 10 years being on the road with a line called Symbols. We did it under the Agazaze design, and then we, we actually branded it as Symbols. And we're very, very successful. And I spent about 10 years traveling all across this country and into the United States, promoting and selling indigenous uh, fashion and jewelry, et cetera, et cetera. And then after that, just got totally burnt out and said, no, I just can't be doing this anymore. And then shortly after that, then I went to the Northeast Aboriginal Business Center, where I spent 18 years prior to leaving the organization when I got elected into the Métis Nation of BC government three years ago. So, and then, you know, before that, 2008, even though I was working at the business center, Mm -hmm. then I started Scoop. Scoop, And then four years ago, just before I got elected with the Métis Nation of BC, started Boreal Gardens. So you see that I'm very entrepreneurial Mm -hmm. and I look at opportunities and see a need in the community. And for me, you know, food sovereignty is extremely important. I've just been appointed by um, the Minister of Agriculture for BC um, on her advisory on indigenous agriculture and food. I'm actually um, attending my first um, meeting in the next 10 days in Vancouver. But so I'm in, 
so involved. And then we also, with the Métis Nation of BC, started a um, an, another ministry, Agriculture and Food Sovereignty, which I am the assistant deputy minister for that as well. So food's very important to mm -hmm. me. Retail, I mean, I just can't seem to get out of it. <laughs> I've been doing it for most of my life. Yeah. But you know what? I'm really happy that I'm able to have Scoop because I'm able to employ people there and be able to contribute to it, the community. Mm -hmm. And the community has, you know, really been very uh, generous and very supportive of Scoop Clothing. I mean, you know, 2008 we opened mm -hmm. and, you know, it's 2023 and we haven't gone anywhere yet. And we've been in the same location, which is pretty spectacular. And you survive so much. I mean, one notable is obviously COVID. You know, so many businesses over... That's over, uh, my math is horrible, but over 10 years for sure, you guys have been here in Fort St. John. Um, I'm assuming it hasn't been super easy. How have you kept the, the business afloat during that time? Obviously, uh, it seems like your experience prior to that has lent itself to when you actually started Scoop. So the past, you know, over 10 years, has it been difficult or, you know, has the community support and been so good that it has been kind of easy to, to keep it in the community? Well, no business is easy. Yeah, I guess easy is the wrong word. Yeah, <laughs> and 15 years we've been in business. Okay, 15. And so we went through COVID. Then we went through a flood that shut us down. The upstairs office actually flooded the law office down into Scoop. And then we went with a road closure. On 100th. Yeah, the 100th Street, yeah. So we have been through so much. and um, But you know what? I just really believe in, in Scoop. I believe in the philosophy. Like I always say to my staff, we are not in the business of selling clothing. We're in the business of empowering women. This is not about selling clothing. But we are empowering women. When women come into that store, we're empowering them, you know, through conversation through support and you know fashion as well uh through products that you know make them you know feel good right so it's all about the empowerment i mean i didn't get into involved in this business to sell clothes that wasn't my that wasn't my initial reasoning to do it and in 2007 i rented a little kiosk down at the mall and i basically sat up there for I think close to two months, and I did uh, lots of interviewing before I opened up Scoop. And I just wanted to talk to women about, you know, what it was that they felt was that they needed in the community that they mm -hmm. didn't have access to. So through my market research is how I got, you know, involved in Scoop. And I didn't think I was ever going to go back into retail. Like, I thought I was done with it. You know, after, you know, owning two stores, manufacturing overseas, yeah. being involved with Agazaze, Symbols Design Corp for 10 years, being on the road, you know, going to trade shows, setting up. I was just like, I am so done. And so then I took a 10-year hiatus from the fashion industry and then got back into it. So there's obviously, you know, like I was saying, my passion is fashion. Mm -hmm. There's something there's something there, right? And then, But I feel the same way now about Boreal Gardens and about being able to grow food. And as we're sitting in this dome, we're seeing that we're surrounded still by food. I mean, I have food out in my hoop houses. I'm trying to get people to take these tomatoes, get them out of here. All this, There's still lots of food around here. And this year has been especially hard for Boreal Gardens because we lost NEAT in the community. And so that's where I got my farm workers from. And this year, not having that program really, you know, was a struggle. I mean, I, was, I managed to hire people part-time. 
but not having that access to daily workers was really, really tough on Boreal Gardens. And, you know, it made me having to go out there and doing a lot of the physical work. So right now, it's the end of the season. Yes, there's still stuff to harvest, but I'm just like, I'm very exhausted. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I'm going to ask you, how do you, you know, through the many decades of all the work you've done, how do you make time for it all? And I said the same exact thing to Gary a couple months ago with all you guys have going on. Um, you know, is it just, you know, you start with, obviously, it's just over time you add more things onto your plate. Yeah, how do you have so much time for it? It's, it's just... Well, we both get up about super early, about 5 in the morning. Oh, wow. Um, and go to bed around 11, 10, 11. So there's a lot of hours in the day that are committed to work. There's always a project to go on, like, you know, I have to can beets, you know, I got to get those done because the beets can't stay out any much longer. Right. But it's just like, you know what? Commitment to get it done. And, you know, it's like I always say, and maybe Gary doesn't like this any longer, but I'm like, get her done. <laughs> it's, it's like that's kind of like my attitude. But I know that it's coming to a point now, you know, as as we age that I'm wanting to do do less. Mm -hmm. Right naturally yeah <laughs> so yeah so yeah so we are I, I am i slowing down no not really because i still have lots of my commitments but i'm the type of person if i'm committing to something that i'm going to commit to it i'm going to stick it out and i'm going to do it right i mean i really just want to you know hopefully be able to continue with my work with Métis nation of bc we have an election coming up um uh, next year and i'm putting my name in the hat and you know i hope that i'll get reelected for another four years to be able to do that work because right now if you if you were to ask me the question like what is the most satisfying thing that you're doing in your life right now and for me it's working for my people and i really felt you know four years ago that i was ready to be a servant leadership for my own people i spent lots of time with gary you know working in first nations and working with the elders and working on all the projects that he's done over the years and really supporting, you know, Doig River First Nation, which I'm affiliated, you mm. know, 35 years uh, with Doig River First Nation. And, and I love that community and the people in it. And I, I'm just so proud to see, you know, all the wonderful things that they're doing. But I really felt that it was time for me to serve my own Métis Nation of British Columbia. And, you know, with the servant leadership philosophy. And since I've been elected, I mean, we've got a lot accomplished. I mean, I don't know if you're aware, but we just bought, you know, a 40 um, uh, apartment unit Crosstown, block. Crosstown, yeah. Crosstown Apartments. We uh, bought the former Passive House, which we renamed the Métis House. We purchased the lot next door, and we're going to get started very shortly here in building a daycare for Indigenous children and, and others. And then we also purchased four lots in Hudson Hope. We're going to start building there as well. We're just doing the architectural drawings right now. So we've, you know, doing a lot in the community. And, you know, my passion and my mission, you know, to my constituents was that when I get elected, that I'm going to make sure that we get things happening in the north. And so the whole philosophy of having these, you know, community centers all across British Columbia Fort St. John is the first community to have it. How many years uh, have you been with um, Métis Nation now? Um, I'm going into my fourth year. I want to know, when did your passion for, like you said, your people, for Métis people, um, when did that spark? When did you decide to do something? Did it start when you were younger or, you know, when you're in school? Like, when did... When was the first time that you decided, oh, 
hey, I want to, you know, keep reading about my people or I want to do some work and, and go out there and try and fundraise or whatever the case may be. When did that start for you, do you believe? Oh, I think it started when I was quite young mm -hmm. because I knew, uh, you know, that I was Métis from yep. the time that I was born. It was, you know, and so I always had a passion for Indigenous people. And I've always worked, all the work that I've done, you know, even prior to the Northeast Aboriginal Business Center, you know, working with the John Howard Society in Edmonton, working with the Friendship Center in Saskatoon. I've always, like, I've, I've actually dedicated my entire life to working with Indigenous people. And I've served 30 plus years on this, on the provincial government, on advisory boards and boards. You know, currently right now I, I'm on ICBC, on our, our Crown Corp, serving, serving there. I just got appointed, you know, by the M Minister of Agriculture to her at, you know, uh, Indigenous Agriculture Advisory. I have, oh, I spent nine years w working, you know, on the Women's Advisory to the Minister. So I've, all my life has been dedicated to working with Indigenous people. So it was always there. And then, you know, being with, you know, Gary and him being from Doig River First Nation. So, you know, I mean, I assisted wherever I could th there as well. But I just, you know, said, oh, it n now it's time for me to go and serve my own people, the Métis Nation of BC, which I'm so grateful and thankful that I'm doing that because the work is just amazing. I mean, our government, when we got elected, you know, three years ago, we had 70 people, 7 zero. Now we're close to 240 people that work for the nation, and we're you know we're building you know ministries, and it's just it's growing so quickly, and um, you know uh, the last census you know there was close to um, 98,000 Métis people in British Columbia, so Métis in BC actually make up one third of the Indigenous population. So we are a growing number, mm -hmm. um, you know. We're purchasing land all across British Columbia, and we're building these um, community hubs, which, like I just mentioned, that Fort St. John is the first one to have one. And, um, yeah, so we are a growing concern, and we have so much opportunity, and we're, you know, we're, we're fighting for our, um, for, our Métis, for our rights, right, for our Section 35 rights to be recognized as a Métis. We are recognized by the province of BC as the government for Métis people in British Columbia. But, I mean, we've got a long ways to go to be completely recognized. I mean, and, and it's challenging for us in British Columbia because of not having a land base like other provinces. But right now we are doing research, you know, up in northeastern BC that the federal government has supplied us with the resources to do the research for around the Kelly Lake area. Mm. So, I mean, there's a long ways to go, but I really love, you know, being at the, uh, uh, call it a pinnacle of our, our Métis government and coming in at the right time and, you know, using the servant leadership philosophy because, you know, the people that I, I'm in leadership with have that philosophy. And we're here to serve the people. We're not here for ourselves. We're here to be able to have better access to healthcare, education, you know, housing, all of that for our Métis people. So the work for me, for me is probably the most satisfying work I've ever done in my life, from bar none. And it's, it's about serving and seeing our nation grow and helping other people. I just, I, I love it. I not once have not wanted to go to work. You know, I'm excited, you know, what the day brings. I mean, of course, there's lots of meetings online, especially, you know, because we, we were actually just got, you know, uh, voted in and then COVID came, got voted in September, COVID came in March, right? So most of our work has been, you know, on online, Zoom, things like that. I mean, it's nice for us to be able to meet in person. Um, but yeah, but the work is just so rewarding. 
when you were younger experiencing the racism as a Métis person to jump years later to all the work you're putting in for Métis people as a whole, it, it seems it's just it's beautiful for me for me to hear. It seems like a full circle moment, right? Um, your official title with MNBC is uh, Northeast Regional Director. Am I correct? Yep, Northeast Regional Director, director, and as well as the Minister of Skills, Training, Employment, Post Secondary. Okay, so we're talking now the whole picture of the province and how it's moving. You know, work to be done for AT people. But now let's focus on Northeast BC. How has the response been like from Métis people in this region with all the things that you guys have been doing, not just over the past four years, but, you know, just in general? Oh, I think it's very positive. In fact, we had a senior leadership, our senior leaderships come, come up last Saturday to meet with our community charter um, groups. Um, so we had a day-long meeting last Saturday. And you know what? I mean, sure, you know, our community still have some concern, about different issues, but the the support that we give them, they all feel, you know, they feel the love or mm -hmm. feel overwhelmed. I mean, my my job, you know, with my communities in the Northeast is to help make them independent because they are, you know, a separate organization on their own, mm. right, with their own board of directors. So, I mean, you know, we know potentially where the government is heading and it, should we get a n new government, federally I'm talking, um, you know, things will probably change for all Indigenous people across Canada. So the thing is that I like to go in there and say, come on, we need to, let, let me help you. Let's start looking at own source revenue. Mm. So I'm happy to say, I mean, uh, I, you know, one of my communities is doing extremely well and receiving, you know, grants. They have a food truck. You know, they're getting involved in another opportunity with another nonprofit organization in Fort St. John. So they're being able to bring in their own source revenue. So this is what I want to encourage for all. You know, in all Indigenous communities across Canada, whether it be Métis, First Nations, Inuit, you have to have your own source revenue. You need to think like an entrepreneur. Mm -hmm. And, you know, at our, at, our, at our cabinet tables, I mean, I often say that we need to think like entrepreneurs. And we need to, you know, have our, our government having its own source revenue, our communities having their own source revenue. Because really, face it, the only way that you're going to make it this in this day and age is you're either going to go out and get a good education or you're going to become an entrepreneur. Mm -hmm. And everybody that I know nowadays, we all have a, a side, side gig. You know, because we can't make it, you know, if it's from, you know, we're doing whatever, you know, growing food, you know, mi mixing medicines, um, you know, doing um, somebody was just I was just with somebody last week in Vancouver and they do writing for um, baseball. So, you know, like everybody needs to have a little side gig. There's another uh, employee that I was talking to that has a little bar business where she's in the northwest. So she sets up and she tends to weddings and things like that. It's like, that's your side gig. Some people have podcasts. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. We all need to have one. Yeah. <laughs> no, I totally understand. And so would a perfect example of that own source revenue, would that, for Indigenous communities, do I give First Nation? Oh, With they're, Ujo they're, and... They're, they're perfect. Yeah. They're, they're, they are definitely, you know, a shining star in the Northeast, you know, and with their, you know, urban reserve that they're developing. And, and like, John, and, yeah. Yeah, so, I mean... Yes, so, uh, like, and there's many, many, many uh, First Nations communities across this country and Métis governments and Métis communities that are, 
you know, doing business and doing their own source, source revenue. Because we can't expect the government to be taking care of us. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, sure, there's rights, and you know, they're owed they're, they're owed their rights. But really, the way to empower our people is to be able to help them in entrepreneurship, get them started. And that's why I really loved my work at the business center. I spent um, 18 years there supporting entrepreneurs, you know, through coaching, through education, through, you know, offering um, services like resu uh, resume writing, business plan development, all of that, right? So that is still, you know, an organization that's here today in the community. And it's very important to be able to support entrepreneurs. But even in our own communities, it's very important to support entrepreneurs. And um, yeah, so that's what I mean by having your own source revenue and being able to be able to um, support yourself. What Outside of that, what is another big... Um I don't want, I, for lack, I, the word coming to my head is improvement, but I guess, you know, what are some big things that need to be worked on for Métis communities as a whole in BC to move mm -hmm. forward in the, in the future? Um, from your position, what are you seeing? Well, as a minister of, of STEP, skills, training, employment, post-secondary, we don't have enough money. I mean, last year we funded uh, 2,200 students to go to school across the province. We are now, like, you know, helping with undergrad degrees, master's, PhD, you know, um, industry training. Like, we need more resources because more and more of our people are wanting to, you know, have higher learning, get more educated. So that's, that's something that I see that's very, you know, prevalent across British Columbia. Healthcare, uh, something else. Like, you know, our elders right now, I was just in Prince George about a month ago meeting with Northern Health. Like, our elders really need to have support. I mean, our Métis elders don't get, you know, dental privileges, you know, if they need hearing aids, if they need a walker, they don't get that. So, basically, I mean, we try to supply as much as we can, but we don't have the resources to do it. Um, so, I want to see better health care for our people across this province, more education. And I want to see more, you know, we just actually hired a minister, of, I mean, um, Director of Economic Development at the Métis Nation. So I'm hoping that we see all kinds of things happening out of that. We need to really concentrate on our ECDEV, do more joint ventures. Like, we just need to be bringing in our own source revenues. And when you have that, then you're able to take care of your people. Mm -hmm. You were mentioning, um, you know, your conversation with uh, your crew at MNBC about um, a potential change in leadership on the federal level. Uh, do you think, whether it be federally or provincially within the next couple years, whether there's a change, um, if there's a change, I should say, do you think that's going to be for the good or for the better? Or do you think it's going to be, you know, just a change up of priorities for you guys either which way? Depends on what government you get. Yeah, true. Yeah. I mean, we have to be honest. Yeah. The conservative government, we're not an ally or a friend of indigenous people across this country. Um, they might say it, but I mean, actually getting money is a complete different thing, like showing that support, right? Like actually getting that funding and things like that. Well, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I think under this current government, federally, we've seen more programs and we re more resources to help build our indigenous communities across the country than we've ever seen in the history that I know of, mm -hmm. right? And, you know, I've lived on this earth quite a, quite, quite a long time. So, and, you know, and I'm a, the type of person who must 
and always, you know, votes in every election. Mm -hmm. Doesn't matter if it's, you know, for our area, this area, or, you know, for provincial, federal, whatever. I mean, I love to vote. I love casting my vote. I think it's just so empowering to be able to do that. Your understanding and work um, within the federal and provincial governments, do you think that's helped your career with every other thing that you have your hands in as well? I mean, specifically um, for MNBC, it, it seems like it has because you understand. You know, you you can you can see when there might be a change in the wind. You know what I mean, or you know where they're putting their money. Like you have an understanding, a grasp of government that not everyone has. Do you think that's definitely helped with you know these things that you've done, whether it be different organizations as a business owner or whatever? Oh, absolutely. Because like I said, I've you know spent um, I think close to thirty-five years serving the provincial governments. You know, and um, been appointed to a lot of different you know, um, advisory groups um, through, you know, the leaders of, the, of this province. And so that's, that, that's helped advance my career. How did that happen? I think it was through my executive director work at the Northeast Aboriginal Business Centre. You know, and we opened up that in 2002. So, you know, in the peak and, or hold on, was it 2002 or 2022? No, 2002. For the Northeast Aboriginal yeah. Business Centre? I think that was 2002. Yeah, it was 2002. Yeah. So you were executive director 18 years? 18, so? years, yeah, 18 yeah. years, yeah. So, the, you know, the work that I did at the business centre definitely put my name on the map across the province. And so, you know, has this community in the Northeast been good for me? Absolutely. I mean, I, I love it up here. I mean, I don't think I would have, you know, had the opportunities should have I stayed in Alberta, you know, or even Saskatchewan, but I think, you know, coming up to the Northeast, as most people know, you come up here, there's so much opportunity. Mm -hmm. And people have really built themselves, you know, solid businesses and solid lifestyles by coming to the North, right? So, I mean, I always say the North, you know, people say, oh, what about living there? Well, there's lots of opportunity because there's many services that we need here that are not being developed, right? So come to the North and yeah. make a good life for yourself. If you have the passion and you have the drive, you're going to love it here. I, I, that's the biggest thing I tell people, right? But if you're just coming here to go with the motions and just go to a job and, and you're not actually, like, trying to experience the North, then, you know, there's going to be a problem. But I, I would feel like that's with any area. That's what I try and tell people. You know, I'm from Edmonton, born and raised from Edmonton. So, um since I've began my career in media, it's been in smaller cities. And so I had to get used to it, like with Lloyd Minster and then moving here to Fort St. John. But, you know, I love it. My biggest thing is my passion for local news. And, you know, obviously that's my career. But with that has also, you know, shot out to my passion for the North because um, I'm actually going out and seeing things and, and, you know, joining these different communities, which is it's, it's so awesome. So I always tell people that, yeah, there's so many opportunities up here. You just have to look for them <laughs> is really what it all comes down to. Um, before my next question, Paulette, I, I do want to kind of lay out the timeline because you've, you've done so many extraordinary things. Your resume is huge. We've talked about different awards you've had, different organizations you're with. Um, but just like a, a vague timeline for my next question, I want to say. So, like, you grew up in Battleford, Saskatchewan. Um I'm guessing you went to post-secondary school in Edmonton, or no, sorry, you said you went to Saskatoon first to work with the Friendship Society. Was that around like 18 before you went to school? 
Yes. So, yes. so you yes. went to Saskatoon, worked at the Friendship Society. So it seems like that's when you kind of sparked your. Um, well, you said it was when you were younger, but your your advocacy work from uh, for Métis people, Indigenous people in general, kind of was pushed forward when you worked there. And then you said from there you went to school in Edmonton. Work there, did your your fashion career there, and then you came here to the piece. Started with the business center, then you opened up Scoop in 2007. The Boreal Gardens was a couple years ago. Um, I know I'm missing some other things, but basically, I I wanted to show kind of a rough timeline of like, you know, you were taken no breaks like you it from my from this conversation from my perspective perspective it seems like you weren't taking any breaks and you've had so many uh for lack of a better term issues that you've advocated for over the years and have done a lot of work for do you think the work you've put in that all those subjects here in northeast bc and fort st john are in a better place because of the work you put in oh absolutely like i'm proud of all of the opportunity that i've had to be a servant leader Mm -hmm. and all the things that i've been involved with from economic development like you mentioned to women's issues i mean i ended up in edmonton to go to school at grant McCune to do native communications so that was really an an eye-opener for me as well because I really thought that I was going to be a journalist, <laughs> right? And then I applied to a sco- uh, program in Banff and unfortunately this arts journalism course got cancelled so that I didn't pursue that, right? And then sometime later down the road I, I went back to Grant McEwen to do some public relations. Um, but it, I found it really challen- challenging um, for me at that time because I was diagnosed at that time with a learning disability oh. called a nonverbal learning disability. So anything with layers is really challenging for me. So the desktop publishing, of course, right, I could understand why I couldn't get it and everybody else could get it, right? So I ended up, you know, going to see the, the, the Indigenous counselor there and then ended up going to, um, I can't remember the name of the hospital in Edmonton, but they, you know, they they tested me and so that came back there right but I mean I learned through all that that you know people with that type of uh, uh, disability learning disability usually have very high IQs (laughs) so not that I've ever used that as a um, a distraction for not learning Mm -hmm. because if you talk to my siblings and ask them you know what I was doing as a young child, it was always a book, right? Like, so I, I, I grew up with a love for reading and I still do a lot of reading today. Right. And so, I mean, I consider myself to be, you know, intelligent and a go getter and being able, I mean, I have a skill level that I know that, you know, is my skill level. Mm -hmm. Like I love, Branding, marketing, putting together events, you know, uh, building businesses. You're cognizant of your skill sets. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You and know you know, where you're and, strong. and being creative. Mm-hmm. That, I mean, that's what I like. So I, I believe that everything that I've done in my whole career, you know, has attributed to the work that I'm doing right now with the Métis Nation of BC. And I think that I bring in a lot of expertise of leadership, because really, it's all about you know being able to lead and to lead others and being an advocate and i'm a very strong advocate for the northeast have been you know ever since i've lived here even though you know not not just in the indigenous world but being an advocate for for the northeast and to have better services here yeah it's definitely and it's something that a lot of um members of the community are still working for now with certain things uh moving over to the boreal gardens uh we definitely mentioned it um you opened up a couple years ago uh when did your passion for the gardens you know really start and 
food security did that stem from all the issues you know going on with indigenous uh and metis communities in terms of of their food security was that where it sparked or just how did it start for you and why did you and uh, gary decide to to create it well i think it started for me about you know about gmos Mm. and you know monsanto and the fact that you know our food that we're purchasing you know in grocery stores has GMO food and so I just like I want to get away from GMO food and I want to be able to you know grow organic and heritage seeds so for me it came from basically first of all food security first for ourselves and then the larger picture you know food security for the northeast and then the larger larger picture food security for the whole you know province and you know all of Canada and all of the world it's very important so my passion for you know for growing food was basically First of all, and it was basically a testament to see if I had the skills and ability to be able to do it. And like a friend just said to me, yeah, last year you planted 4,000 garlic. You, you know, you had a goal, you did it, there you did it, right? Because mm. I was saying to him, this year I'm only doing 400, not 4,000. He's like, well, you know, so, so for me, often growing food is kind of like a, uh, it, it's, it's a drive, but also it's a test towards myself of whether or not I can do it. Mm. So, of course, it comes from about feeding others, you know, because I'm constantly feeding others. And people come here and they're constantly, you know, taking food home because it's here to share. Mm-hmm. Um, so, um, yeah, so it was, it was basically just a passion about being able to grow organic food. And then, then I started reading a lot about sustainability and permaculture. And really got interested in the whole fact of, you know, having a permaculture farm, which is what we do have here on five acres. And, you know, it's really about, you know, and then Gary's philosophy is like, let's build a food forest. <laughs> so, you know, that's being, that's happening as well. So it's, you know, it's been, it's been great, but like, it's a lot of work. And, um, but I, you know, I love doing it and I love being able to come out and collect the food for dinner and be able to know that we're eating food that was grown right here on the land. Mm -hmm. And that you guys worked on, that you guys, you know, uh, cultivated, and and now you're eating. That sounds so great. So I guess right now you were talking about, you know, kind of the goal um, for food security, you know, for you guys, for the community, for province. Where are you guys at right now? What services are you offering through Boreal Gardens? How does it work for people that might not know? Well, what we've been doing this year is a lot of events. So companies are signing up and they're coming here and they're, you know, having like the one that we had last month with Community Futures was basically a taste of Boreal Garden. So we basically, you know, did all kinds of food from food that we grew, for, you know, from cabbage rolls to zucchini chips and all kinds of lovely things, salads in between. So we've been doing a lot of farm tours. So people have been coming. We just actually did one on Wednesday as well. And that was um, a tea and treats. So they got to, you know, taste our delicious uh, boreal tea, which we're both drinking right now. And then we were able to make some really lovely treats from zucchini cake to rhubarb cake to pumpkin tarts, a food that we grew on the property. And so we've been doing that. Uh, we also uh, built a tiny house, and our intention was to do it as an Airbnb, but um, actually it's now being rented. We just rented it for six months, and then we just re-rented it again for another six months. So we have we have that coming in for, for Boreal Gardens, as well as the food. I mean, we did sell, you know, most of the garlic that we uh, produced this year we sold. Um, 
we did some farmers markets earlier in July when our granddaughter was here from Burnaby visiting. So she was helping set up at the farmers market. So we did some farm markets. Um, you know, for next year, we got to look at what we're going to do. So it looks like we, we are talking about doing a farm stand and just doing an honorary farm stand okay. where we put the food out every day and people can come and purchase it and then just, you know, leave their money. Yeah. Like, yeah. So we look like we might be, we might be doing that next year huh. uh, to uh, help us, you know, bring in more farm income. So, yeah, so, it, you know, we're just always diversifying. We do have four hoop houses, but we've only grown out of two for the last couple of years. Uh, we now have the dome with heat, so we can grow in here year-round. Which we're in right now. I don't know if we mentioned that. I think we might have, but it's absolutely beautiful. But, yeah, you were saying year-round and also a beautiful place for you to have your coffee in the morning oh, right? or tea. <laughs> absolutely. And, uh, yeah, absolutely. And we've been, um, the last couple of years, been planting a lot of hascaps and Saskatoons and cherry trees and, more and, and um, expanding our raspberry gar gardens. So, you know, we've been doing a, a lot of that. So um, next year, I hope to be able to plant more trees, more fruit-bearing trees and more perennials. Because as we get older as well, too, I think it's better for us to have more perennials, you know, growing around the property. Mm -hmm. How many fruits and vegetables do you grow in a season? Oh, probably the, the fruits, probably about six different ones. And then the vegetables probably a good 20. Wow. And yeah. you, you said you grow quite a few of them, obviously. And so that's like how, I guess my question, how do you plan how many you want to grow for the season? Because, you know, you're doing it for yourself and obviously there, you know, other, you know, places that you're utilizing the food. But how do you plan that out? Because you were saying you plan it every year. It's just oh no, but I mean maybe I don't plan so oh, well because okay. I got a whole hoop house full of tomatoes oh. and cucumbers, right? That yeah. can't even get picked fast <laughs> enough, right? So maybe I need to go into a better planning, you know. But I, but again, it's just a competition for me. Mm. It's like how much can I grow? <laughs> you know, it's like and Gary's always saying, well, "I don't think you need to grow that much." And I was like, "Yeah, I want to. I have the seeds, right? Let me grow, <laughs> right?" And then. Um, yeah, then it, then it becomes a lot of work. I mean, I didn't get very overwhelmed this year, even though I didn't have a lot of help. But, I mean, I have definitely been overwhelmed. I mean, I guess maybe planting 4,000 garlic last season mm. was very overwhelming. Yeah. And then, you know, having to, you know, take them all down this year and then hang them. I mean, I had help. I had some family come in from Saskatchewan, and they helped with it. So, I mean, we've had It was good-looking garlic. I saw on your Facebook page the picture. It looked like some great garlic. They were bigger, too. Yeah. Oh, that's so awesome, man. and um, especially how expensive they are at stores nowadays. What's your advice if someone came up to you and wanted to be an entrepreneur but didn't know where to start out? They may hear your story and so many other entrepreneurs in the community because I think your story, Gary's story, other people's are very similar in terms of, like you're saying, you're not just doing one thing. You're doing many different things. You have your hands in many different pots. You, for different reasons, one of them being just testing yourself to see where you're at and if you can do something. But if someone who wanted to get into it and get into being an entrepreneur and a business owner, what would you say to them? Find one focus and then, you know, expand from there? Or what would be that advice? I think my first question to them would be, what are you passionate about? Okay. And then they're like, oh, I don't know what I'm passionate about. Fine. But, and then... You know, and then coaching, like really, you know, 
let's close your eyes, you know, take a deep breath. Like, if you could see yourself doing something, you know, where are you? You know, what does it feel like? You know, it's like, and, and I have two coaching certifications behind me as well, so I yep, managed to yep. do coaching um, in training in my career as well, too, because I really love coaching people one-on-one. And then really, you know, break it down to there and then, you know, talk about, you know, that business, you know, and what the duties are in that business and then find out what they gravitate towards. Because some people just love accounting. Mm -hmm. They own businesses and that's what they want to do. I don't. You know, I like marketing and PR and social media and coming up with ideas and things like that, right? And I like merchandising and I like, you know, shopping for you know, the, our, our product for Scoop. Those are the kind of things that I like to do. I like selling, even though I'm not in the store anymore selling. But, you know, when I did and when I was, I was you know, I was good at it. I love to talk to people. I love finding out what people want or what they like, what they don't like, you know, that kind of thing. So it's more like coaching. So, you know, and I would say follow your dream. You know, they're like, oh, well, I got to, you know, I got to keep working because I need to put food on the table. But maybe what's, you know, what a, what about a course? Like, I mean, do you feel like you need to, you know, have help with public speaking? Go to Toastmasters, you know, like you want to, you know, do you need to learn how to do bookkeeping? You know, take a course, you know, or mentor under somebody like, you know, start, start small, right? And then, you know, do what you love to do. Like I always say to people, like, just don't do a job for the sake of doing a job. Do a job because you love to do that job. You love waking up in the morning and doing what that your job is. Like, that's how I feel. Mm-hmm. I mean, and I wake up and it's like, okay, so what am I going to accomplish today? Like, I'm up, you know, this morning was 5 a.m. You know, I had to be out of the house by quarter to eight. You know, I was like, yeah, right? And so. Whereas I'm waking up at 8.30 like, okay, here we go. Yeah. <laughs> I love that you wake up at 5. Like, I mean, so many people, I've definitely tried to be that the early riser. I'm someone who's like, wake up. 9 o'clock, 8.30, whenever I have to be at work, whatever. But I stay up late. Like, I stay up till 2. And then my brain is the night brain. Like, I, all my ideas, my creativity, it comes at that point. So, like, I always, I also write on the side, right? Like, I write my own, you know, fiction and things like that. It's always at night. And it's just so funny hearing that because, you know, I'm someone who could stay up, you know, it's, probably till seven in the morning doing that stuff but then there's other people waking up at five in the morning like i've heard uh like the actor mark Wahlberg, he goes to bed at like nine o'clock wakes up at three four in the morning does a big workout all his business stuff throughout the day and it just seems like you know it's funny hearing people structure their day to get more out of it which is just so interesting to me and i just thought of that too it makes sense though you know being as you're getting more out of your day to do all the things that you need to do, right? Like, because I'm sure every day for you is super busy. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And that, but I like to be finished around 4 o'clock, mm. you know, so I can make a really so, lovely dinner. Because, yeah. I mean, I love food more than anything in the world. I think about food. I obsess about food. I plan, you know, my dinner, you know, for tonight, from last night, what I'm going to eat tonight. So I really love being in the kitchen and awesome. cooking. So for me, that is like relaxation. And being able to prepare food that's delicious and people like the food mm. and, you know, so. And you grew it. And I grew the food. Oh. And, like, just earlier before you came, I was out picking some herbs that I need for my food. And, um, it's, yeah, it's great. I mean, and I'm like, now i got to go pick some salad for tonight. And, mm. you know, it's all growing in that one greenhouse. And 
it's just so pleasurable. But yeah, no, I envy people. I wish I could stay up late. But, you know, but my brain thinks better in the morning. Give me a cup of coffee and I'm already like going, right? And I'm at my computer and I can, you know, I can be focused. But at night, like, no, I'm, I'm go to bed really early. Yeah, it's so weird for me too. And it's like, even uh, when I have to wake up early, say on a weekend. So I coach basketball. This is an example. On Saturdays, we have, um, you know, the fall program going on right now from 10 to 12, which isn't, that's not too early. But what I find is, is on those days I'm waking up at like seven on a Saturday, which is, is out of character for me. And I'm the same way though. I'm just like, have my coffee and I'm zooming, but it's not like that all the time. Like on work days, like Monday to Friday, I am not like that. I definitely need my coffee and it does help, but I'm not just like super. And it's not that I don't, like my job or anything it's just it's just so funny how it's you know trying to find how you function within your job right and and seeing what works for you but nine times out of ten if you talk to anyone who's super successful in business they're waking up at four or five in the morning it seems like a common theme because they're getting more out of their day (laughs) well and as an entrepreneur Mm -hmm. you have to be thinking about many things you just don't have a responsibility yeah. for one thing. Mm-hmm. You know, you have a responsibility, especially, you know, you have staff and consultants that work with you, right? Like, you have to be able to have that business be successful because you have to pay all these people. Mm-hmm. You know, they rely on you for their livelihood and income. And like me, I mean, I have consultants that work with me. You know, I've got somebody doing my social media, somebody doing my bookkeeping, somebody doing my, you know, uh, as a retail consultant, you know, like, th- and then you got all your staff and then, you know, you got your PST, GST, mm-hmm. employee remittance. Like, so you yeah. have to always be thinking about, okay, you know, what are we going to do to make these sales? And then you have sales goals and then you want to cheer on your team. It's like, you can do it. You're just about <laughs> there. You know, you got to have, you know, rah, rah, you know, yeah. all of that. And yeah. even... You know, doing, you know, events here all summer. Like, sometimes I was tired. But the thing is that, you know, you just got to pick yourself up and just got to, you know, you know, be positive and be that ray of sunshine. So when people are coming here and they're paying you, you know, to come and see the farm, it's like, you know what, that is your, that's your job. Like, to be able to entertain and to be able to show people and then be able to have them feast on the food that you grew, oh, right? Yeah. So it's like you just, what it, like you got many different layers mm-hmm. to entrepreneurship. Mm-hmm. It's not just one thing. Like it definitely is not stagnant. It's definitely, you know, a, a place where you can build all sorts of skills. And then if you don't want to build those skills, then you just hire for those skills to be developed and done for you. With all the advocacy work you've done for First Nations, for women, for the business community as a whole, have you had women or business owners or First Nations individuals, Métis individuals um, in general, come up to you and talk to you about the work you've done? Maybe have you impacted them or they've had questions for you? Like, is that a part of you being an entrepreneur for so long as well? Um, you know, acting as a mentor to, to those who are coming up in the community? Oh, absolutely. Just a couple of weeks ago, I was um, in Surrey and I did a talk on uh, servant leadership. And I had people come up to me and say, oh, my gosh, I could have just listened to you all day long. Do you realize I was just staring at you as you spoke? But, you know, you just inspired me. And I know one gentleman the next morning said, you know what? I did a bunch of research on servant leadership. I love that philosophy. You know, they um, said, you know, your leadership skills, the fact that you're a woman, you know, an entrepreneur, things like that. But, I mean, 
you know, those things really don't matter. I mean, it's lovely that they say them, and it was nice hearing them, but that's not what makes me me. Mm. Makes you know what makes me me is my drive, and you know at my age I still have drive. I have drive to do some things. You know I, you know was just listening to a CBC reporter last week talk about how our children in this country are going to school hungry and that a lot of schools don't have the resources for food programs and the ones that do are having a real hard time you know finding sponsorship so that just got me to thinking and then I chatted with another you know farmer friend about what can we do so now I'm just you know percolating what is it that I can do right to be able to to help how can we how can we help feed the the children in our own district not you know like not outside of our area, but like you said, smart, start small. Start, like start small. Like yeah. what can we do? How can mm-hmm. how can we assist? And all my life, I have been a donor uh, of food banks, mm-hmm. and it, that was from you know growing up hungry. And you know I don't want to I don't want to hear or see any child go hungry, and so you know I still to this day donate to the the woman's resource a lot. Um, you know, when I was in Edmonton, it was food banks. I got started when I lived in Edmonton or back in Saskatoon donating to food banks. And I, you know, those, like, I just donated to a GoFundMe today, but, I mean, I'm a real sucker for GoFundMe. (laughs) Um, (coughs) But, um, yeah, I mean, I just want to be able to, you know, have the fact that our children are able to go to school, you know, with food. Because, I mean, I was one of those children that went to school hungry. Mm Very hard to learn when you're hungry. Very hard to focus when you're hungry. Um, and so to me, it's really important. Food is really important to be able to be shared and um, to find a way and to find out in the school district here, because I haven't reached out that far yet, to find out you know, what are our stats in Fort St. John? Where is the need? Um, I donate also to the uh, Friendship Center as well, to their food program. So, um, yeah, so I think it's very important for people to be able to help the less fortunate. And we have, you know, them in our communities, and they reach out through Facebook or however, right? And I just think it's important not to ask questions, but if you can help, to help. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of initiatives that would say the same thing, especially here in Fort St. John and the Peace Region that are doing things for Women's Resource Society, Salvation Army, um, Friendship Society, Community Futures, all those different things that are offering services in the community, which is awesome. Uh, The state of females in business, how do you think it is here in the Peace Region? Um, uh, From my perspective... I, I feel like it's split for the most part. I don't know the stats on paper, but I see a lot of female uh, business owners in the community, which is absolutely awesome. With all your years under your belt and seeing um, the business world change to be more accepting to females, how are you feeling about how the state is right now here in the Peace Region? I believe we have a lot of female mm-hmm. entrepreneurs. And we have like the the, sp- the Spark yeah. uh, conference Spark. that goes on specifically for female business, yeah. um, you know, entrepreneurs, females in business in general. It's it's really incredible. Yeah. yeah. I mean, if you look at the um, building where the farmhouse was in, you know, you've got Denise there with yeah. her uh, flower shop. And then you have Crystal Leahy that's going in there with her salon. And then you have the owner... I, 
thinking her name is Michelle, but anyway, she has the, um, you know, the resale clothing, mm -hmm. and now she has an event space in the front as well, right? I was talking to another female entrepreneur this morning and talking about, I love the idea of collectives. And it's so great to see a collective like that mm -hmm. in our community. And then I ran into um, a woman in North from North Balliford at the market in Edmonton in September, and she was telling me about how she's turned her clothing store into a collective. So I can't wait to be back home in North Balliford to go visit it. Mm -hmm. So I th it sounds to me that there is like five or six women entrepreneurs. And I really think, you know, that is a really great way for women supporting women. Mm -hmm. But I tend to do a lot of business in Fort St. John with women entrepreneurs, you know, whether it be, you know, printing or, you know, beauty services or, yeah, or, you know, the farmhouse. You know, like there's just so many women that own businesses in Fort St. Yeah. John. I think there's more and more women starting businesses here. You know, especially, you know, women who have maybe stayed at home with their children and now they're deciding, okay, I want a career, but I don't want to go to work for somebody, you mm -hmm. know, and, you know, being uh, a mother and a caregiver in your home, taking care of family, you have so many skills that come out of it. Like, you know how to do everything. Yep. So they make the best entrepreneurs, right? Yeah, really, Because they've had really. a, you know, had experience of running a family and that takes a lot. So I see it more and more and more women entrepreneurs and I definitely want to support them in Fort St. John and um, yeah and I think you know I mean I love the idea of shopping locally I mean there are some things that you possibly can't get in Fort St. John oh, yeah, we have to yeah. admit it right yeah but you know what like I mean I was just purchasing a new washer and dryer this week so you know I went out and bought it locally right mm -hmm. so I mean so but I mean there's yeah so supporting other businesses in Fort St. John you know, supporting Energetic City, you mm -hmm. know, with Whitney, with doing social media, yep. you know, supporting Rhonda and her printing shop. Like, it's just supporting supporting women and helping entre women entrepreneurs, like, to be able to develop their businesses because it's the women of Fort St. John since 2002 that have supported Scoop. So, I mean, I have much gratitude to the women from this region that have, you know, supported us. You know, to this day, I mean, we're still in business since 2002. Mm -hmm. That's a long time yeah, for a clothing a retail time. in Fort St. John because yeah. I've seen so many of them close, right? But, I mean, we have no plans in close closing. Um, we hope to be able to remain at that location for the <laughs> rest of our existence. <laughs> we haven't moved in 15 yeah. years, so we've Incredible. expanded and we renovated and things like that, right? But we really like, you know... You know, th there's some challenges with the downtown core right now. I mean, yeah. I'll, I'll admit it. We've seen a real... Um, a change in the last six months, which, you know, is not very desirable for a business owner downtown. Mm -hmm. And I just hope that, you know, that there are communities going to rally to be able to support. And know. there is a lot. There is a lot of people voicing their opinions and trying to make a change. And, and uh, you know, definitely, you know, obviously being a, a news director, I, I know what's going on in council, and they're trying. They're they're trying to at least they're bringing it up and talking about it. But I guess we'll just have to see what ch what changes happen. And and uh, for those of you living in Fort St. John, you probably know what we're talking about. But for those of you who don't, um, you know, there's been topics of. Uh, Homelessness, the uh, overdose prevention site, and the downtown core. Um, there's been talks about uh, encampments, uh, homelessness encampments, and finding an area for them. Nothing has been completely 100% like sorted out right now, but these are conversations we're happening, and on top of uh, you know rising crime, property crime too here in the city. Um, but you know, as a business owner for 15 years. Um, 
Do any other business owners come up to you and ask you for any tips on how to survive that long, especially in the <laughs> retail world where it's ever-changing? <laughs> no, but I definitely would be open to having mm -hmm. conversation. I mean, I do get questions from other women entrepreneur businesses that I frequent, you know, about, you know, especially about, you know, online business, you know, because Scoop built their online presence about four years ago. And, you know, and we constantly have to invest in it and constantly work at it. I mean, it's getting better, but it's, you know, nowhere where we, we want it to be. And, but you have to, I was saying to another woman entrepreneur this morning, think about it. Scoop is a standalone business. Then you have an online store. That's another business within that business. So now you're, you know, you're working two businesses instead of one, right? So, um, yeah, so, I mean, I have questions like that about, you know, our online, but, you know, I've, you know, I'd, quite a few years ago, myself and a couple of other retailers started to, you know, meet with Lynette um, from the um, coffee place. Like, we, we were wanting to start a downtown business association, and it never got off the ground. Oh, like Whole Wheat and Honey you're talking about? Well, we... Um, Whole wheat and honey were part of it back then oh, as well we too, right? Oh, yeah. Okay. But we really, you know, we really tried to get a, you know, a downtown merchants association going, mm. but to no avail. Um, it was really difficult for us to get the support from the city. So I'm hoping that somebody like the Chamber of Commerce will take that on, and have a downtown association where we're able to come together as downtown business owners to talk about the issues, but also to talk about, you know, solutions. And to talk about uh, ways that we can all work together collectively, you know, whether it be, you know, you know, marketing dollars, you know, all put in together to be able to market, you know, maybe an event. I mean, I'd love, at one time, you know, we used to have the, you know, I, I think it was the midnight shopping, things like that in mm -hmm. Fort St. John. We'd have more, more events, right? Like sidewalk sales. That's just not happening anymore. I think it's starting to pick up now. Like, because I heard it was before the pandemic, it was definitely, like, very, very busy all the time. Do you think it's picking up or not, not as much? You know what? Our business through the pandemic actually um, soared. Was it through online sales? Through online sales yeah. and different, you know, and doing the videos and, mm, you yeah, know, yeah, yeah, and all of that. So, I mean, we, we actually, you know, kept afloat during, you know, the pandemic. I mean, sure, we, we had, you know, we lost, mm. but, I mean, it's our scoop has been consistently... Mm. You know, you know, does the same. You know, we're growing a little bit here and there, but um, I just really wish that we did have a downtown association yeah. where we could, you know, be more of a mentor mm -hmm. and, you know, w you know, women or people in business that have been in business longer to be able to, you know, talk to the up and coming businesses. I mean, I love the fact that you know. Um, the young girls across the street open up a clothing store. Mm -hmm, yeah. You're like, I think that's amazing. They're young and yeah. they're doing it, right? They're very young too. I think when they started it, one of them was like not even 18 yet, which I don't, I don't know for sure because I don't know if that's legal or not. But I know it was Marcella's and Thelma and Marcella's. Thelma and Marcella's. Thelma and Marcella's. Yeah. And they had this cute little spot and then they just moved recently to actually be like in the downtown core, which is awesome, which is great to hear like these young women being, you know, putting, putting together a business is awesome amazing awesome. it's amazing amazing awesome. and then the farmhouse you know relocating yep. next week to a bigger location mm -hmm. downtown you know now having more of like probably it sounds like they're going to have more food service there which is great yeah, you know like it's wonderful and then you know peaceful pages you know with her little yep. coffee shop yep. right next door to energetic yeah. moose <laughs> i mean it's just like it's so amazing and these are all women entrepreneurs yeah. so we're you know seeing more and more women and i just love the fact that you know women are opening businesses in fort st john 
and you know businesses close and businesses open and i really love the fact that you know all these women you know have seen an opportunity like okay there's an opportunity to do this right and mm -hmm. they they do that yeah well paulette uh we reached the end of the podcast uh, i had a lovely conversation with you as i said i i'm looking at my sheets i still have many more questions but uh, we'll definitely, hopefully, talk again. Uh, my last question for you, we ask every single guest that's been on the podcast, and it's actually been a bit because I've had some repeat guests on, so I don't keep asking them it, but what does reconciliation mean to you? Well, first of all, I've stated publicly that I do not like that word, reconciliation. But if we're going to talk about rec reconciliation, and really, we can't have reconciliation until we put resources in. Show me the money. Mm -hmm. Put your money where the, your mouth is. Because as far as I'm concerned, it's just useless banter. On and on and on and on and on. And true reconciliation, if you want to, true reconciliation, it comes from resources. Mm -hmm. So being able to say here. Yeah. Yeah, it's not, it, it's put some action to it. Don't just say some words. And I think that's my issue with the word reconciliation, and we've talked about this on many episodes. Um, I don't like the word either because it's now just used as just a buzzword. It's just, mm -hmm. it, I feel like its meaning now is gone because they just keeps getting regurgitated so many times. But then my thing is, what else do we say? What would you say other than reconciliation? And now it's just so ingrained in me. And that's an honest question. Like, I don't know what else to say. Like, <laughs> Like come together as that's what I said. No, no, let's do business together. Yeah, yeah let's do business. Let's do business together. together yeah. Right? Like mm -hmm. I have a product. You know, let's do business together. I was just at the Indigenous Artist Market this morning, and because um, I was dropping off some product from Boreal Gardens because they requested it because they're getting lots of um, uh, calls from industry of putting together baskets for Christmas. Okay. Right. Okay. That's doing something. Yeah. That's empowering the native producer, the native artist. Mm -hmm. You know, by going to the to the north to the indigenous artist market, which is a social enterprise which I helped create, mm -hmm. and the indigenous food collective, which we didn't even get a chance to talk about. Oh yeah. But that those was on my those are two too. social enterprises that I am so proud of that I've been able to help develop. Right. But you go there and you know you purchase baskets. I mean, they were saying that you know. One company wants to buy 50 baskets. So, you know, if we have another company come in and buy 100 baskets, and that's using the products from the local indigenous artists in the region, mm -hmm. that is, uh, pardon the word, but I'm going to use it, that is reconciliation. Mm -hmm. That is helping our people to become self-determined and self-sufficient. Mm -hmm. And, you know, giving them income for doing something that they love to do. It's it's bringing them a part of the, giving them a piece of the pie. They're a part of it, right? Or giving opportunities, right? It's just making it fair. And yeah, I, I totally agree with you on, on the reconciliation. We had uh, someone on the podcast call it, uh, saying she likes reconciliation. Mm -hmm. Do something. Don't just say it. Let's let's act on it. Let's yeah. actually do something about it, right? And I think that's definitely um, it. Could get lost sometimes. It, it could get lost when someone keeps just talking about reconciliation, reconciliation. Okay, but where is the call to action? Where is you know what is going to be done? What are we doing for this? 
it's very easy to just sit up there and say all these beautiful words, <laughs> but let's do something. Let's, mm-hmm. like you said, put your money where your mouth is. Absolutely. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Paulette. I enjoyed, again, chatting with you. And uh, hopefully you'll come on again because, yes, we got more to talk to you about. (laughs) I'd love to do that. When you get (laughs) reelected. After you get reelected with MNBC, that's when we'll chat with you again. How about that? Yes, definitely. Awesome. Thank you so much, Paulette. Make sure you guys subscribe to Before the Peace using your favorite podcast app or at energeticcity.ca backslash podcasts. If you have a guest or program idea, email beforethepeace at energeticcity.ca. Thanks for listening to this energeticcity.ca podcast. Energeticcity.ca is your only local and independent news in Northeast BC. To help keep us independent and to support this podcast, go to energeticcity.ca slash join.